Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Dr. Walter M. Kimbrough, uh, an incredible educator and administrator, earned degrees from the University of Georgia, Miami University, Ohio, and he got his doctorate in higher ed from Georgia State University. He has moved up and through all of the administrative ranks of student affairs, uh, through universities serving at Emory University, Georgia State University, Old Dominion University, and Albany State University. This is all over the country as well. In October of tw- 2004, at the age of 37, he was named the 12th president of Philander Smith College. In 2012, he became the seventh president of Dillard University in New Orleans, Louisiana. Dr. Kimbrough has been recognized for his research and writings on HBCUs and African-American men uh, in college. Recently, he's been talking a lot about um, uh, uh, discussing free speech on college campuses. And certainly we want to talk with him about today. I am excited to welcome to the program, Dr. Walter Kimbrough. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing well, doc. So, so man, I, I, I do, I want to talk about the white house initiative that, that you're involved in for sure. But before we do that, you know, last week on, on, on air, you know, the, the news broke that, um, you know, there was a hundred million dollar gift received at Spelman University. And, and I just wonder, as someone who who kind of knows the HBCU world at that presidential level and at that sort of fundraising and donation level, can you give our audience like the, the proper context for what that gift means from 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 for, for an HBCU? Man, that's a really good question. Um, so we didn't really see those kinds of gifts to HBCUs until after 2020 uh, with the racial reckoning and George Floyd. That's when Mackenzie Scott basically came out the woodwork and started giving money away. Um, Spelman's largest gift was in 1988, if I remember correctly, Bill and Camille Cosby gave that gift when Janetta Cole became the president. And that was you know, late 80s, that was a big gift, $20 million. Mm-hmm. But we wouldn't see any gifts near that to a single institution until 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a piece for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution around 2018 that says that was still the record. I mean, and that was, wow. you know, 30 years later, I'm like, this is still the record. So um, I, there are a couple of things that the Spelman gift reminds me of is that uh, I just finished reading a book by John Savanus Wilson. He was former president of Morehouse College, and he wrote a book about HBCUs and philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And he talks about a lot of times we look at the HBCU forest and not think about the HBCU trees. And most of Mm. your transformational giving will be given to the tree. So we talk, you know, so sometimes we say, oh, this is really good for HBCUs. Well, all HBCUs aren't created equal, just like all institutions of higher education aren't created equal. I Mm -hmm. mean, Harvard and Dartmouth can get a lot of money, but there are a lot of schools in New England that are closing right now. They don't get Mm -hmm. people don't even know other schools. And when they close, people are going to say, well, what was that? They, They didn't know anything about it. Right. So Spelman is an iconic brand. Uh, it, it is one of the trees because they're only one of two all women's HBCUs. Um, they're in Atlanta, my hometown. And so those things help. But the other part that people miss is that the, the donor has been a member of their board for almost 30 years. And right. you have to have those kind of relationships because a lot of times people will say, well, y'all just go ask Oprah for some money. <laughs> well, you know, well, first of all, Mackenzie Scott makes Oprah's money look silly. Okay? And Mackenzie and she, Scott was, is the former uh, spouse of, of uh, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos yeah. yeah. So she, and she signed the giving players to say, 
I'm giving away money. So she gave half a billion dollars to HBCUs alone. Mm. Uh, when I was president of Dillard, we were one of the 26 institutions that received you know, a gift, but she had criteria. So even though they're over 100 HBCUs and people kept thinking like, oh, well, maybe so-and-so is going to be next. I'm like, no, y'all didn't read her blog posts. She was very clear about how you would, you couldn't, you couldn't lobby for the money. You couldn't apply for it. Mm-hmm. I, I got an email one day out the blue saying, Hey, we have an anonymous donor that wants to give you some money. And I didn't, you know, first of all, I had to check the person who sent it because I didn't know if it was a scam. A scam. <laughs> right. And then, right. Right. So, right. and then I, you know, I said, okay, you can call me. So I was out running errands when they called me and they were just like, yeah, the person's McKenzie Scott. You're going to get $5 million. I'm like, wait, I need to pull over for a second because that just, <laughs> that doesn't happen where somebody out the blue that you don't know says, I'm about to give you $5 million. Give wow. me your routing information. And two weeks later, the money is in the bank. Wow. I mean, so, it was so, crazy. So, so, so Dr. Kimber, so what was, what were the criteria that Mackenzie Scott and her team were operating on in order to make the determination on who got these windfall gifts? Yeah. So they looked at a lot of things. Um, the Rutgers minority serving uh, institutions did a, um, a research report on it mm-hmm. and they were looking for institutions that had good outcomes and looked for strong and stable leadership because there were some institutions that didn't get money because they've had too much turnover in leadership. I mean, mm-hmm. so for example, Fisk is an iconic brand. Fisk didn't get any money because they were changing presidents every other year. Wow. So they they ruled that out. So those kinds of basics, you know, you know, really good retention, graduation rate, good leadership, mm-hmm. not a lot of foolishness in the public press. Mm-hmm. And those were the, the institutions that that received the money. So um, it was really interesting to watch that process play out. But um, so the, the Spelman gift is important, but there's still only a handful of institutions that are even positioned to get such a gift like that. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people say, oh, HBC is about, no, it's not, you know, like I say, you look at Mackenzie Scott, she only gave to a quarter of the sector. Right. So it's not going to be, there are going to be some that struggle, but that's all of higher education too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Dr. Kimbrough, even again, before we move on to the initiative, can you talk a little bit about the kind of presidential carousel that we've been seeing in HBCUs. I mean, I, I, I mean, I hope people are bringing your phone on a regular. I really do. I really do. I don't know yeah, if you want to step back it, into it. that space, but I, I hope, I hope they, I hope they are ringing your phone regularly. And I want, I want you to share with folks in a minute about like your style of presidential leadership, which I think is extraordinary and it's engaging to the students and you're in the classroom kind of things that you don't always see presidents do, but can you help our listeners and help me to understand like why has there been so much turnover and at these presidential levels for HBCUs? Right. So, you know, I, you know, I always put it in the full context is that the last ACE survey of the presidency that came out said the average tenure of all college presidents, I think is about 5.9 years. Okay. When I first became president of Philander Smith in 2004, it was over nine years. So the job has changed greatly for everybody. There's a lot of people that are coming and going, Mm -hmm. particularly there are a lot of people started right before COVID. COVID wiped them out. They were like, ah, y'all can have this. I'm not. So (laughs) you got COVID, right? And and so, and then now in this really tough political environment, you got people saying, "Mm -mm, I don't want, I don't want that job. I saw what Elise Stefanik and those folks did to the women on that panel. I don't want no parts of that. And so that's a part of the challenge. They see Dr. Claudine Gay and they're like, I don't don't, don't don't want that. I don't want that. So it's been harder for HBCUs because you're dealing with under-resourced institutions that serve an under-resourced population. Mm. And the the issue that we don't deal with, which I keep harping on, is the governance issue. You got too many people on the boards that want to run the institutions and that they're creating a lot of the turmoil. So when you see an institution that has had 
you know, a president every three or four years, it's not because they're just picking bad presidents. It's because the board is dysfunctional. And we don't say that enough. And so I've been writing more about that to say, look, and I mean, I've been places and interviewed at places where um, they've had a lot of turnover. And I'm just like, uh, are y'all together? I mean, it's like, because I'm like, I'm that's not what I, I've been one place seven and a half years or other 10. Mm-hmm. So I know how to be a place and be still and be stable. Mm-hmm. But I have to ask those questions. So you, you got the, the board issues and you have people on some of the boards that want to run an institution. So, yeah, my phone doesn't ring off the hook like it probably should, because I had a, a colleague tell me this once and it didn't really make sense to me. But they said sometimes boards don't want experienced presidents because they want to run the school. And if you got an experienced president, they're going to tell you like, no, you can't do that. That's right. not how it works. Right. And so they don't want that. And so I've watched even searches that I've been in and somebody else who's selected. And it's just like, yeah, OK, y'all want to run it because, you know, right. they don't know what the hell is going on. But you can do what you want to. If you got me, you know, and I'm going to be outspoken and push back on it. They don't want that. So it, it takes a different kind of board that would be open to that. I mean, you talk about my style. I'm willing to engage the press. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to, to say the hard things that everybody's thinking that nobody says. Um, I tell people my mentor, spiritual mentor would be Benjamin Mays because that's how Benjamin Mays was at Morehouse. That's how you get Martin Luther King Jr. Because mm-hmm. he had a very outspoken college president who commented on everything. Mm-hmm. And so I'm more of that, the Mays type of model. And there are very few of us that are out there. So I'm the person that's, you know, if something jumps off, I'm, I'm going to say something about it, you know, and mm-hmm. you have to have people who are willing to, to make the hard stances. And we don't have that. And a lot of boards are really just they don't you know, we don't want to deal with that and blah, blah, blah. So that, it's a governance issue until we fix the governance issue. And I tell people who have all of these presidential preparation programs, mm-hmm. all that's fine and good. But if the board doesn't want you, you're not getting the job. Right. It's board so, etiquette and board governance at the yeah, HBCU it's, it's level. Board, it's board. The board governance is terrible. Mm. So, yeah, you're right. It's, there should be people like pulling me every minute. Yes. Like, okay. Because there are over there are 21 openings right now. Unbelievable. 21. Unbelievable. And, and it's just, it's a mess. But These search people, firms must be racking it. The search yeah, firms must right. be racking it up right now. But it's, no, it's it's just like, you know, but that's, I was just having a conversation with a colleague about half an hour ago. And mm-hmm. we were talking about an institution that has an interim president. He's just like, yeah, the people on the board want the job. So it's like they, they're they not going to call you to even come. But this was a place where I would go and be the interim for a while. I was open to doing it. Right. They didn't call me because they're like, no, we can't have somebody good come in there. And then we got to follow that. So I wasn't getting the call. Wow. And I would have done an interim for a year. It's like, oh, I, I do that. Wow. So that's the issue. It's, boards are killing these institutions. And I am being even more vocal, which is hard when you're somebody that's out there and right. potentially <laughs> would do another presidency saying some of these boards are messed up. But I mean, if, when I interview I talk about that specifically and I have interviewed with an institution that had a lot of turnover Mm -hmm. and I told them I was more skeptical than they probably were of me because I'm like, the track record not good. Mm. So are y'all good? I mean, have you thought about what's been happening? Uh, But then they decided to do something else because I was going to be the one coming in asking the hard questions. So just to be clear, just to be clear, Dr. Kimbrough, you are open. Oh, yeah. To, okay. To, 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 uh, institutions reaching out to you. Yeah. I want to uh, do one more. I, okay. I definitely, I want to do, I want to do one more. But like I said, at this stage, I'm, I'm very, um, deliberate mm-hmm. about what I do. I mean, I've been in searches where it wasn't necessarily anything wrong, but it didn't feel like a good fit. And so I withdrew jobs mm-hmm. I could have gotten. Mm-hmm. I was just like, mm, no, this isn't a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's finding the right fit. And that's why I tell sometimes people are so desperate. They want to be present and not do the job. And it's two different things. Right. So they get desperate and, you know, they're thirsty to be a president. They get in there and they get run out in a year or two. So I'm, sometimes there, there are signs that you see. I mean, there are some that people can email me about right now. And I'm just like, y'all go to hell with that. Mm-hmm. I am not. I don't want anything near that. Or there's an opening now. And um, the institution started a search last April. Okay. They didn't. They didn't select anybody. They reposted the job. Wow. So I have a candidate for them that I want them to look at. And so I emailed the search firm. I think they responded to him. I got to check it out. Mm-hmm. I got somebody, but I told them for me, I'm not going unless they get rid of the board chair. Wow. So I'm gonna ask the same question to say, are they gonna get a new board chair? Because their board chair is documented a documented problem. And I'm like, this person has to go before somebody like me who could go and really do the job and get it straight. That person has to go. And those are the people that they want to control the power. They feel like, no, this is my school. I'm the board chair. And it's horrible. It that is. is. That and like is. I said, now, it's not it's not unique to HBCU. It's not. We, it is not. You see it happening in PWIs. You see, you see, you see it. Yeah, yeah, you saw you saw it happen at Penn. You you know, you you, yeah, you see right. you see it at Harvard. Yeah. So so Dr. Kimber, we gotta take a quick break. Can you stay on for the next oh, thing yeah. so we can keep yeah, talking? Yeah, You're listening to Evening Words. I'm your host, Dr. James Peterson. We are live on WRD. 900 AM, 96.1 FM. We're in conversation with Dr. Walter M. Kimbrough, who's been in higher education administration for a career already, uh, been president a couple different times and really breaking down some of the nuances and complications around leadership at the highest levels of HBCUs. We'll be back after these messages. And now back to Evening Words with Dr. James Peterson on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. Welcome back to Evening Words. I'm your host, Dr. James Peterson. We are live on WRD, 900 AM, 96.1 FM. We're in conversation with Dr. Walter M. Kimbrough, who's had a stellar career already as university administrator, university president at Flinders Smith College, as well as Dillard University in New Orleans. Dr. Kimbrough, welcome back to, to Evening Words. Um, brother, can we, can we back up a little bit? Can you... Share with us your approach to presidential leadership, because we, we know we we're criticizing, you know, kind of what goes on at that level. But share with your approach, because you you remained really dedicated, I should say, committed to teaching, even as a university president. And I've been in those classes. And I've seen how you engage young people. That is not the model that I have seen from presidential leadership at universities, HBCUs or PWIs. So talk a little bit about your philosophy uh, in, in terms of presidential leadership in these institutions. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that really is old school in terms of how are you a part of the entire um, community? So it starts with me at the very beginning. When we do orientation, you know, I worked at Georgia State um, and the president there was great, Carl Patton. Mm-hmm. He made sure he came to every orientation session to give his five minute spiel. Hey, we're glad you're here, blah, blah, blah. And I ran orientation there. So I was always happy that they got a chance to see him. But at a big institution, you might see the president at the beginning of the year. You might see him at the end at commencement. That's about it. Uh, smaller institutions, it's a little bit easier to be seen. But for me, for example, for orientation, I did an hour workshop with the parents. Wow. Wow. And then another hour with the students, because I'm, I'm a student affairs person. So I'm mm-hmm. explaining to them, we have to be in partnership to make sure your child is successful. So here are the different kinds of things. And even at the end, I always tell them about something that's called the first and third rule. And it, this comes from my time at Philander Smith, my work study student. She came into my office. And like you said, I, you know, people say I have office hours from two to four on Fridays. 
Like, forget all that. If I'm in the office, I'm fair game. And if I'm, <laughs> if you're okay with me multitasking, that's cool. And when I have to kick you out, I'm kick you out. Don't get your feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. And students were cool with that because they know they could always get to me. Mm-hmm. So my work study student comes into my office. She's like, Dr. Kimber, I'm pregnant. I'm like, oh. And so I'm telling my wife and we took her to, you know, the doctor who delivered, you know, my two kids. Mm-hmm. And he was asked to tell, asking my wife, like, is she in her first year, third year? And she said, third year, how do you know? He said, when I see college students, it's either first or third year. So I wow. use it as a story. And then I tell the wow. parents, your child is entering what year? Man, you should see their faces. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's a, wow. But that's when you start connecting with people like that, because you have a real, right. I'm having a real talk. I'm right. like, you don't have too many withdrawals, drops, incompletes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I go through all of that so they understand we have to work together. And I give the same presentation to the students. So it's doing those kinds of things. It's being active in the, the sporting uh, events sometimes. We started something at Dillard where um, the AD and myself would coach one of the men's basketball teams for like our blue and white scrimmage at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And we even had a, a, a wrestling belt made. So whoever won the game got the belt <laughs> for the year. I mean, it was very competitive, but you can have a full gym just to watch the two of us on the sidelines. Right, I mean, so right. those kinds of things. So people get to see you outside of that role as being, quote unquote, the president. Um, I think it's a part of it. It's being involved in the city, engaged with people in the city, in the mm-hmm, state. Mm-hmm. It's doing all of those kinds of things. So it's it, part of it, not particularly for an HBCU. There is this sort of line where it's sort of pastoral, if you will. My dad's a, a retired United Methodist minister. He had mm-hmm. big churches in Atlanta, like mm-hmm. 7,000 members. Mm-hmm. So that's what I grew up watching, how you navigate with that kind of size. Right. Um, so that's a part of what I do. Churches bigger than some of the city. schools you were president at. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> right. Much right. bigger. Right. I mean, mega churches in big cities. So I, I learned a lot. So I pull a lot of that in terms of how I engage. Um, that's incredible. No, I appreciate that, Dr. Kimbrough. Can, can you talk a little bit about about where where we are right now with the conversation around free speech on college campuses it's it's confusing to me to me doc and you know i've i've been around long enough to see you know free speech as a as as an academic freedom as being issues on different platforms within the discourses around higher education but but you've been speaking out a lot about this recently Where, where where are we at what's your kind of assessment of 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 where we are with free speech on on college campuses uh in the 21st century. Yeah, we it's I mean it's always a messy subject to, to talk about, but it's something we're going to continue to have to have conversations about. I just unfortunately recently it's been much more weaponized. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example with the the situation with Claudine Gay and and the president's people say well the answers weren't really good. And I was like, well maybe I think they initially could have said Yes, you know, that kind of language um, is uh, unacceptable, mm-hmm. but they were still right in terms of the context because I, I wrote a piece where I went back and I looked at at Harvard's um, their uh, student code of conduct. Right. And the student code of conduct does not mention um, genocide. It doesn't mention lynching. It doesn't mention anything like that. Mm-hmm. And it's really much. It talks about context a lot. So she could have said, yes, I think like I think that this is unacceptable, but I have to apply it in the context. We have to give due process. If somebody feels like they have been threatened because of this language, that student then goes through the process. Right. And that's where the difference is. I, you know, I think that you had three presidents there who combined had three years of presidential experience. Wow. Okay? So they were all wow. really green. They didn't know it. So they're relying a lot on the, you know, the, the legal teams, which I think failed them. They were mm-hmm. just too legalistic and they didn't feel comfortable enough to go off script. So I think that the members of Congress knew that, took advantage of that. 
I think they treated them harshly because they were women, too. Mm-hmm. Even the women mm-hmm. members of Congress, I think, displayed misogyny, if you Facts. ask me. Facts. But like I say it would have gone down very differently with me because I would have said, yes, the context. <laughs> I would have talked about the, the code of conduct. And I was like, you know, Representative Tabana, you understand context because you didn't want to kick out George Santos with all the stuff that we know about Hello. him. Hello. So we're going to talk about context. Let's have the same. You were hot about this and you're not hot about <laughs> Santos. And he plagiarized his whole life. Right. So, it would, right. See, so the, right. the viral video would have gone down differently with me and her. It would have right. been ugly because I wasn't going to let her run over me like that. <laughs> but they didn't feel like they had to, you know, you know, Dr. Gay had just gotten there. She started, right. you know, July. I mean, literally, literally just been installed. Had no, right. Yeah. No, right. No honeymoon. They yeah, just right. had the inauguration Into a month or two fire. before that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So wow. that's but, but I think those are conversations we have. You know, I've done presentations and people think what's going on now is bad. But I don't know if you remember when. Khalid Muhammad was with the Nation of Islam. And in the yeah. early 90s, yeah. um, he spoke at King. And that's went viral before viral was even a thing. That's right. Um, both the House and the Senate uh, censured him. That's it was right. almost unanimous votes. Yep. And I know about it because I was working at Emory at the time. And our Black Student Union in 92 invited him to speak. And he was coming to Emory. Mm. Emory has a large Jewish population. So the school canceled it. And the black students were, man, they were so upset. We had to have right. meetings after that. So when I do presentations, I show people what Khalid Muhammad said. And of course, he was anti-Jewish, anti-gay. Yeah. And I tell yeah. people, he went after black people, too. He dogged out Spike Lee. He yep. dogged out Jesse Jackson. He was, he was brutal. He was brutal. He was brutal to everybody. Yeah. And like I said, yeah. he he. Yeah. and I tell people it's interesting for me because it's come full circle. And I think I'm a defender of free speech because I saw what happened to my students at Emory. But Khalid Muhammad started off his college career at Diller. And wow. so I've been in the I've been in the archives. I saw when he plays Omega. He was yeah. on the debate team. He was uh on the yearbook staff. That brother, he came in as like a boy preacher from Houston and he was superstar. Mm. And and then Louis Farrakhan spoke at Diller, and that's when he joined the nation and after that. Was that. It. So it was so it's watching the full circle, but the brother was sharp. And even when he was at King, he was telling people, um, there are people outside protesting. He said, I don't know why they outside protesting. I invited them to come in here and debate me. So he was like, <laughs> I understand what I'm saying. That's controversial, but right. let's have a and that's what I respected. And now people don't want to even have a debate, even with tough subjects. I mean, he was mm-hmm. gonna be offensive, but he was like, Come debate me. Mm, Come debate me. Mm, so mm. it was so people see that we need to have those conversations, but it's just so politicized now. It just makes it difficult to really to do you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for it. that, Dr. Kimball. So let's talk a little bit about the White House initiative on advancing educational equity, excellence and economic opportunity through HBCUs. Talk a little bit about your role there. I'm not exactly sure how long you've been there. And, and I know that this administration has been touting a lot of its uh, support for HBCUs. But talk a little about your work uh, with this this important White House initiative. Yeah, so it, it's been really good. I was uh, nominated by the president. I guess this is right before I left Diller. So about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really based on the, the, the statute for the commission, you're supposed to do a report every year. And in our report that hopefully will be released soon, but we've already shared it with the president. I actually had a chance to sit in uh, with the president in a meeting, mm-hmm. talk about big picture things that we feel like the administration needs to push. With some of the things he's already doing, we talked about the infrastructure for the institutions. We talked about support for research as there are a number of HBCUs that are close to R1 research status. 
So we want to make sure there's support for those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So it's been productive in terms of helping to set an agenda for um, the federal government about things that they could do to strengthen HBCUs. And that's really part of what we've been really trying to do um, with that kind of work. So I've been really excited about that. Um, and just to be able to have a meeting where you got the president asking questions to say, OK, so and he understands the reality, which was interesting. I'm still thinking about the question. He was like, can you think of some things that I can do with an executive order? Wow. Because he's understanding like, look, y'all know the deal. Right. You know what I'm dealing with. And everything's right. not going to go through Congress. So if you can help me come up with some things I can do with an executive order. I thought that was like I said. That's a really Wait, good I want to know how y'all answered that question. How no, did we answer? didn't have a we didn't have a good answer. That's why when we meet, we have a meeting coming up in the next month or two. Right. I'm coming back to that. I was like, we got to give him something because yes. he's looking for it could be an easy win for him. But if we could come up with an easy win for the schools, we need to. I mean, test it. You know, work with some of the groups like UNCF and Thurgood Marshall. Mm -hmm. What can pass a legal test that he could do executive order because he is he was looking for that. And when he said that, I was like, that's. Good question. Right. So, you know, those it's the opportunity, um, you know, to help set a direction for HBCUs for the federal government. Uh, and they've been around since, you know, a lot of people thought Trump was the first person to do. It. And I was like, Jimmy Carter set up this office in 1981. So y'all get off Trump and Trump's <laughs> and Trump's uh, group. They didn't even do not one report. <laughs> they didn't do anything. They no. didn't even meet until like in, his, in year three. It was so all was cosmetic. Like, it was, it all, was all cosmetic. Cos all co it, like everything. So I was like, y'all just got hyped. I was like, he didn't have it. You know, and they said, oh, we saw the presence in the Oval Office. I'm like, y'all, it was not a meeting. It was simply a, a photo op. He mm. walked everybody in there. And if you look closely, you will see the, the female presence right next to him because he wanted the women in first. See, people missed the details. Unbelievable. But I was there. So I was just like, dude was like, oh, the women presence coming first. They were the ones closest to him. He Unbelievable. 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 It was all photo op. And we knew it because Omarosa said that. She was like, oh, he, this will be great. He's not expecting y'all to, you know, to come over here. But, and it was the day before the State of the Union. So he, we weren't on the schedule. Unbelievable. Do want a photo op and she obliges. And that, that has been weaponized against us. I, I bet it has. I bet it has. It's weaponized. So I it's, it it's been horrible. So, like I said, I was in the back hiding. So I think there's only like one picture you can find me, but you can't. Because I was like, this is bad. And when we were walking out of there, some of the president's phones started blowing up because their staff was like, y'all on C-SPAN, y'all on CNN. Right. I was like, not yeah, a good that's, look. That's not going to go. No, not no. a good look that's at, not gonna, at all. No, not at all. So, Dr. Mm -hmm. Kimbrough, you, you know, you really have kind of I know you've worked at PWIs, but you really have dedicated mm -hmm. your life's work to HBCUs. Talk talk a little bit to our audience about why HBCUs still matter. I mean, I always share the data point that, you know, sometimes as much as half of the black professionals you see in this world are trained at through HBCUs. But what, why else should we be um, excited about the possibility of you all applying some pressure to this administration to get some more support to make our HBCUs more sustainable? Why does it matter? Yeah. So, you know, I always say that there is a critical mass of students who will be better served in an environment where they are not going to get lost. Mm. That they're going to be engaged and people know who they are and really help move them forward. And that's been part of, I mean, if you look historically um, in a book by Wilson, I was referencing, um, you know, during uh, right after the end of slavery, HBCUs were almost single-handedly responsible for making black people literate. Um, right. They did that kind of work. And so now he's saying, how do we work in terms of civic engagement to help people understand their role in society? So there are some things that HBCUs can do that people just miss out all the time in terms of what's happening with with black students on campuses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was just saying, um, you know, for example, my wife now works for the Thurgood Marshall 
um, the Marshall Motley Scholars Program for NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Mm-hmm. And so these are for folks who want to go to law school. And um, black people are the only group of people where most of the people who apply to law school won't get in anywhere. Mm. We're the only group. But a lot of times that happens because you don't have people telling you how to navigate the system to be able to do the kinds of things that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And so when you can be at a place that can help you do that, um, you can change the narrative a lot. Mm-hmm. You can really move those numbers. So I think it's just having, you know, being a part of a community where you have people who look like you who are in leadership, mm-hmm. uh, people who are engaging you meaningfully. Uh, I think that makes a difference and it starts to show up in certain things. There have been more studies recently that talks about, you know, how black people are doing in terms of, you know, financial success, how they feel about family. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of studies in the last five years about the benefits of HBCUs. So that it's a and like I said, it should be an option. Everybody doesn't necessarily need to go to an HBCU. I went to the University of Georgia, had a great time. Right. It was, UGA was great for me. It wasn't great for everybody, mm-hmm. but UGA was great for me. But there's some other people who would benefit from a place where, you know, you have a relationship with the president. One of our students is a, a law student in D.C. Mm-hmm. She texted me yesterday saying, OK, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing in my life. When can we talk? She graduated. <laughs> right. And I and I'm right. not at dealer. But those right. are the kind of relationships that you have at a place like that. That's where right. she can like text you and say, hey, I need you. to." So these are lifelong relationships that you have with people when you work in institutions like that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I say. It's, there are a range of options. Uh, right now, about 9% of black students undergrad attend HBCUs. I mean, optimally, it probably should be about 15 or 20%. I think okay. that there are students who are at places that are getting lost and nobody knows that they're lost because they don't even know that they're there. Right. And that's the that's the issue. They need a little bit more, you know, high attention, somebody who knows them. I know for my two kids, my, my daughter's about to finish high school. Mm-hmm. She can go wherever. We looked at Ford on this past week. We were in New York City. She can do whatever. My son's younger. We like HBCU. He needs somebody <laughs> to be on him. And, and, he's, and he's more relational, too. He likes to be in community with people. And mm-hmm. so he thrives in an environment like that. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we want him to, we know that will do that for him and help him really take off. Mm-hmm. So they have different, they're different kids with different needs. Mm-hmm. Dr. Kimbrough, I, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for staying on for two seconds. I know you're oh, really yeah. busy, good brother. No, and listen, no I hope you'll come back. You know, I hope you'll come back and, and report out a little bit on, on, on what the White House initiative ends, oh, yeah. where you guys land with that, with the pressure on, on the executive order. And also just, you know, we, we, we want folks to, to come on these airwaves and provide some insights for us. You know, we got Black History Month coming up, brother. So, so yeah. we'll be in your inbox with additional oh, yeah. media requests. Any, okay. Yeah. Anytime I'll, I'll do it. I'll be happy to. I enjoy the conversation. Good to catch up with you. Thank you, good brother. I appreciate your time. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.